You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded, the Doppler Prospect Draft Special, and we can actually call it a Habs Eyes on the Prize Draft Special as well, because the guest today is my friend and my colleague, Hadi Kalakesh. Hadi, thank you for joining us. And you put up a big list on Twitter last <laughs> night about your 128 rankings. Yep. Um, yeah. What can you say? Amazing work. It's been a it's been a big year. I, I don't think I've invested more in a draft year than this year. And yeah, north of 600, 700 hours of, of watching and uh, taking notes and scouting on players and um, all culminates in one colorful Excel sheet that I post on Twitter for free. So yeah, it's 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 fun and, work. And I love it. It's my passion. Yeah, and we all know who's going first anyway, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean it's definitely gonna be Matt Vamichkov. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 Con- it's Connor Bedard, and he's dug a trench between him and everyone else in this draft. So yeah, there's no doubt at all. I mean, you mentioned the the Mitchkov situation, and we can joke about it, but. If Mitch Cobb had a full season and maybe not as long contract and, and we could have observed him a little bit more and probably part, he would have participated in the World Juniors. Um, mm-hmm. that, that said, we still don't like uh, Russia to going into Ukraine. So we support <laughs> Ukraine in that regard. Uh, yeah. But but he would the gap has been as wide? Uh he would definitely have a better argument for second overall, but I think that Connor Bedard really genuinely, what's really impressed me with Bedard is not just the fact that he's got otherworldly skill uh, because he does, he's got tremendous, tremendous skill uh, with the puck, but usually guys that have that level of skill don't need to adapt. Don't need to, you know, step up their game defensively, improve areas of their game. They just play through players, and that's it. But Bedard has had such a great progression in a skill set beyond the offense. Um, when he started getting triple teamed and quadruple teamed by opposing, uh, you know, defensive structures, he found ways to to pass around them to play give and go. Defensively, he upped his effort level and his consistency and his positioning. He's just a very, very adaptable player. So to have that level of skill and that level of adaptability together, that's what makes him so special, in my opinion, because we've seen players with this level of skill set not be able to become generational prospects. But Bedard has everything he needs in order to become the best player in the NHL, or at least be the only player able to compete with Connor McDavid for that for that spot in the future. Question, though, because Thibaut Chatel and I spoke about it on the last podcast, and, and I'm going to have to ask this to you as well um mm-hmm. with all these skills and with i mean like it's not that i'm against conor bedard at all i would have loved <laughs> montreal to have him uh yeah. but should he have gone overseas instead of playing juniors well the thing is usually that can help a player that you know we saw it with austin matthews you know going to a league that is of a men's level and being able to prove already what you're able to do against men, that's great. But with how skilled and just purely dominant Bedard is, I don't think it's really changed much in terms of his projectability. Because like I mentioned, he's so adaptable that the concerns with you know why we want to see players play against men is are they going to be able to adapt? And we've already seen that Bedard, even at a junior level, is able to to mold his game or modify his game according to what opposition he's facing, according to what his his opponents are trying to do against him. So the big concern with me 
you know, the big reason why we want to see players against men is that adaptability, and Bedard has shown it. So I'm not too concerned with that. You know, the important thing is for me is that I'm able to see that a player is willing and capable of adapting their game. And Bedard certainly showed that this year. Still, it would have been lovely to see him in, in the NL or National oh. League, as I've heard it's yeah. called nowadays. I should be saying NLA. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, like Austin Matthews went into draft draft year being number one and he kept it all year as well. Uh, for yeah. me, it would probably have been about injuries, not mm-hmm. being like that prepared maybe for it. But mm-hmm. I think it would have been a, a, a very, very interesting to see. Obviously, it would have benefited, not that he's going to need it, uh, mm-hmm. his bank account from the get-go as well. Yeah. Um, anyways, you have obviously Bedard uh, as number one. You have Fantilli as number two. You have Mishkov as three, and this mm-hmm. is uh, the the start of, you know, where you might uh, go against the grain a little bit, because yeah. talent wise, I completely agree with you. I could probably, you know, talent wise, put Mishkov ahead of Fantilli sometimes, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of rumors surrounding Mishkov, uh, Russia, and 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 you know what did he do he did it uh, on a can he do it on a rainy wednesday night in in uh, in stoke yeah <laughs> yeah in Soki, or or is it just in 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 well he can do it on a rainy wednesday night in Soki. can he do it somewhere else in moscow or st petersburg yeah no i i understand that concern but for me it's just you look at mishkov's skill set in a vacuum you kind of struggle to see any kind of elite asset of his, you know, other than his goal scoring, but everything is so high end. Everything is so refined and developed. And he's also got room to improve that. It's just very, very impressive to go to watch him go about a game. You know, I had my concerns with his game in, in uh, St. Petersburg at the start of the year before his loan move to Sochi, where you saw him and you're like, man, can you stop shooting from the corner? Like, please. And, And then at some point he just, when he moved to Sochi, he decided, You know, I'm going to play off the puck. I'm going to find some pockets. I'm going to play off my teammates, play a give and go. All Everything I had as a concern for him in St. Petersburg disappeared the moment he got to Sochi. And it's not just a level of opposition. It's just him in in and of himself adapting his game because he knows he's going to be back on the ice in a minute and a half or two minutes. He's not going to have to wait 15, 20 minutes between shifts. So that urgency of wanting to score kind of dissipated. And then then we saw a more comfortable Michkov. And I think that's the Michkov we're going to see at the next level. Yeah, and obviously he went into arguably one of the worst teams in KHL and led mm-hmm. that team uh, from the first line. Uh, mm-hmm. As you say, he will have to wait another one and a half minute and then he's back on the ice again exactly. rather than in in, in Ska where he, well, you, you cost us the game last time, so you're going to have to prove it in, in the next two games, but we're only going to mm-hmm. give you three minutes each game to prove yep. it. So, you know, yeah, completely agree there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually very impressed to see that he did it in arguably one of the worst teams in KHL because he yeah. stood up among men in that regard completely. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with having him on third. I might mm-hmm. disagree having Carlson on the fourth, though, but I see the logic <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. See, the thing is, for me, it's, it's there's three tiers in my top five. I have Bedard at one in his own tier, then Fantilli and Michkov in their own tier, and then Carlson and Benson in their own tier. Um, so that's the way I kind of see it play out in terms of the of draft day. Um, I love Leo Carlson. I just think that Carlson has, you know, some elements to his forechecking that aren't as refined. He's a tremendous playmaker. He's got really good hands. His ability to move inside with the puck to carry it in transition is fantastic. But 
the thing that separates Fantilli from Carlson for me, especially, is that forechecking game. Fantilli's the best forechecker in the entire draft this year. Whereas Carlson, he's got the same frame as Fantilli. He's even taller and, and, and heavier, but the forechecking game isn't the same because he doesn't benefit from the same mechanics that Fantilli does. Fantilli's got the size and the strength, but doesn't rely on it. Um, mainly uses his mechanics in order to win battles. He gets the low, he gets under opponents' hands, he pins them to the board at just the right time to free up puck. I don't see the exact same thing from Carlson, and that's definitely something that can come with time. Um, and I especially love Carlson's floor. I have a very, very hard time seeing Leo Carlson not become, at the very, very least, a second-line center. Um, and most likely a first-line center. Do I think he's got that franchise potential, Hall of Fame potential? Maybe not. But the numbers he's put up with, um, you know, in the SHL this year are on par with the Sedins in their draft year, are on par with, with Matt Sundin in his draft year. Um, very, very impressive numbers in, in this draft class. There are some things that I would like to have a development team tweak in terms of his skill set and the way he plays, but... I still love Leo Carlson. I think you get him at four, you're laughing. But that just tells you how high I am, I am on Michkov and his skill set. Because like you said, on skill alone, there's an argument to put him second overall. And I personally think the whole Russia thing is overblown. I don't think that, you know, Russia has bigger fish to fry than to, to keep a, a hockey player in their country, you know, against their will. Um, and Michkov absolutely definitely has made it clear that he wants to come to North America. So that's not a concern. So if you put that aside, Michkov's skill set is on par with Fantilli's or even better. Fantilli has better physical skills, but yeah, no Carlson at four. I had a hard time with that because he, he could be in that conversation and Zach Benson is at five as well. Um, I think those two are very close as well and you can put them in any order and I'd be fine with that. Yeah, let's hope Carlson falls to five. You know, that would yeah, be amazing. Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned it, and I, this comes into something that a lot of people always ask about in articles when it comes to Europe, and especially maybe because Sweden don't have hybridized. You mentioned Fantilli's four checking game and Leo Carlson's not kind of four checking game or, or not as good yeah. as. And mm-hmm. could that I mean, for me, sitting here in Sweden on a sunny Monday afternoon, um, it sounds a little bit like, you know, it's part of the the controlled play that and the system play that Sweden or teams in SHL plays. But it's mm-hmm. also um, the bigger eyes that don't let you forward check to the same degree as you do in North America. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot less board game scenarios, so it's. Carlson has less opportunities to improve those areas of his game. Now it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation where you're thinking, is it the league that's making him, you know, you know, is it the fact that he's not facing that many scenarios that's making him lag behind all these elements, or is he just naturally predisposed to that? And then the SHL is a good place for him to develop because he doesn't have to face those scenarios. Right. So for me with Carlson, it's, you know, I think that, changing leagues into a league with um you know nhl size ice where he's going to be facing a lot of bounces a lot of board game scenarios a lot of physical situations is going to help him a lot more because right now in the shl it plays a bit like chess where there's a tactic to it there's a formation to it and you make your move in a calculated manner whereas what Fantilli's facing in the NCAA is kind of like fighter jets uh, fighting in, in in the air. You know what I mean? Like it's it's very chaotic. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of adaptation. Like quick quick reactions required. So 
they're playing in different leagues, which are bringing out different elements of their game, but that can actually be a detriment to Carlson's development because he's not facing those scenarios. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing the Leo Carlson that plays in North America, that plays with that, that high speed, high reaction time kind of level, um, you know, seeing him the AHL or the NHL would be very, very interesting to me because that's when we're going to see whether he's, whether or not he's going to be able to adapt his game to different scenarios. And that's what I'm still waiting for from Carlson. He uh, said he wants to stay another year. Do you think that will uh, affect his ranking? Or I don't think I don't think it'll affect his rankings just because he's such a surefire NHL player. His skill set is so projectable, and there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be pivoting a second line before you know it. So I don't think teams are going to be turned off by that. On the contrary, I think they're going to think, you know. Keeping him in the in in Sweden for a year, letting him you know develop his game and add some more elements to his his you know technical skill set will be great. And playing um, center full time probably a hundred percent. That's a big thing with Carlson, and you know he he's good as a winger, but for me he projects way better as a center. And I think that having that position locked down in Sweden before coming over, playing a full year of centerman hockey. Uh, is really going to help him. There's things he does, like the support that he gives to his defensemen off the rush. You know, when his defensemen recover pucks behind their goal, he's always swinging low, giving him an outlet option in order for him to carry the puck out, to take pressure off their hands when there's a guy, you know, forechecking them, which is not as often as in other leagues, but it still happens occasionally in the SHL where there's a there's a forward, you know, pressuring the defenseman behind their goal line. He's always there as an option with, with a stick on the ice and in a dynamic position in order to turn quickly and skate the puck up the ice. So that that having that be a regular thing as a center is really going to help him at the NHL level because you need that. That's one thing that is very much demanded of centers. Interesting enough, you in your own ranking, um, because this is not a consolidated ranking from all the double prospects uh, guys in 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 your team, um, mm-hmm. you have Sekbanson at number five. Yeah, very interesting. Late birthday as well in May, uh, mm-hmm. center, but. In regards to Montreal, a Smurf. <laughs> See, that's the thing is, you know, I'm not. I'm. I'm probably the the the, the public scout that's the least scared of size concerns. Um, but the main thing is for me, if I see Does that, I have a, a note from his doctor that says he's going to grow two inches. <laughs> Fortunately, he is not Lane Hudson. But yeah, no, he. The big concern for me with smaller players is, and and there, that's why you know sometimes when a player is short, but I feel like they're not playing the way that I think they should at their size, they're out of my top two rounds. You know, there's a couple of guys that are five eight, five nine who I love their skill set, but I know that their physical skill set is going to be a, a holdback. With Benson, that is zero percent a concern. Zero percent. He plays exactly the way you should at his size. Um the I don't he's the two way forward of this draft class. No one defends like he does. He's got the intensity and and the pace and transition to compensate for his lack of skating speed as well. Um, he's got quick reactions. Basically, anytime you lose Zach Benson on the ice, look for the perfect spot that a player could be, and he's there. Um, so that's why, um, although he played the whole year at wing because of the center depth in Winnipeg, for me, he, he just screams center, and he screams top-end center. Think um, Patrice Bergeron, Braden Point, that kind of level of player who... Won't necessarily score you a thousand points a year, but will win you games on their own based on the way they play. That's Zach Benson to me. There's so many different elements to his game that are elite that 
really the only thing that's concerning me is the, is the and preventing him from being a top three prospect for me is the the lack of size and the the, the lack of skating speed. But like I mentioned, think uh, Mark Stone and the way he plays perfectly for for the way that he skates because Mark Stone is one of the poorest skaters in the NHL. But that does not prevent him from having an elite impact on both sides of the ice. And it's because of the elite positioning. It's because of the the elite awareness. And Zach Benson definitely has that. So I have zero concerns with Benson at five. Um, and it was even tough for me to not put him at four. You know, I had to make a conscious decision that Carlson is a sure bet as a top six center. Whereas Benson has more kind of width of possibilities. But yeah, Zach Benson to me... If the Habs get him at five, I am very, very happy with that because they're getting the two-way center of this draft with the offensive skill set. I mean, he's one of the best playmakers in this draft as well. There's just so much to love about him. Yeah, and I can just imagine the comments. It would be brilliant where you put a new record on hits. You know? Yeah. Uh, that, that's awesome. Um, interestingly enough as well, then you got Will Smith as number six, the U.S. National Team Development Program. Yep. It's a good program, but also... Has it faced enough of competition this year? Uh, well, that's that's one thing is that the the competition level is so variant. Like sometimes they'll be facing NCAA teams, sometimes they'll be facing you know junior AAA teams, U.S. high school teams, you know that kind of thing. So it's all over the place. But in, I've really mainly focused on USHL viewings because that's where the competition is most stable. Um, and it was honestly, you know, for me, it was a matter of the gap between Benson and Smith is much wider than the gap between Smith and, you know, pick seven, eight, nine in my rankings. Um, I feel like the three NTDP guys from the, for, from their program, uh, Smith, Moore and Leonard are very close. And I put Dimitri Simashev in that, in that kind of range as well. Um, for me, Will Smith is pure skill. Whereas Zach Benson is everything you need to win a cup. So that's the difference for me, you know, like Will Smith has, better skating than Zach Benson, but I'm more concerned about Smith's skating than Benson's because Zach Benson plays exactly the way you should with the skating that he has. Whereas Will Smith, he tries to play a Trevor Zegras, Logan Cooley style of hockey without the foot speed of Trevor Zegras or Logan Cooley. So oftentimes he's thinking and, and stick handling faster than his feet can, can keep up with. And it's all fun in games at the junior level where he's able to deke around players and all that. But once he reaches that level where he needs to up his skating speed, where he needs to play at a higher pace in order for his hands and his brain to be good enough to, to kind of have a regular impact uh, at a pro level. That's where my concern is. It's also the fact that uh, Smith relies a lot on spacing. So he slows down the game. He cuts to the middle. He he finds pockets of ice by, by skating into the middle of the ice while defenders are backing up off the rush. But as he climbs the ranks and face strong, faces stronger and stronger opposition, they're going to start being aware of that. Play, teams are going to start watching videos of him, kind of understanding where he tends to go. And that reliance on spacing will really harm him. Whereas a Zach Benson... He doesn't rely on spacing. He he uses it. He he utilizes it to his to his benefit. But if he needs to, he can drop the shoulder. He can play between checks. He can play a quick give and go game. Whereas Smith is a very much you know hold the puck, uh, slow the game down. You know push the opposition back and then find space to make a play. So Zach Benson's very much more projectable to the NHL level, whereas Will Smith does play a junior level game, but man, he is so, so skilled. There aren't better hands in this draft. He's got a tremendous shot, really, really underused and underrated shot. 
Um, and he's one of the best playmakers in this draft. So the skill set is definitely there. There are just some concerns with me that put Zach Benson in a different tier than him. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. If, if you're looking at the teams here and, and if we did a mock draft, I mean, obviously the first and second seems pretty set. But how would that mock draft continue according to you? Yeah, so Columbus, I'm pretty sure, you know, are hotly debating right now in their scouting rooms between Leo Carlson and Will Smith. I believe that's the the discussion there. I think at the end of the day, Armo Kekalainen leans with the 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 Swedish proven product uh, in Leo Carlson. Um, and then at fourth overall, I think the San Jose Sharks are patient enough in the rebuild that they would go for Matt Michkov. I don't think that would be a concern for them because they know they've got all the time in the world in order to to build up. Yeah, the team and you and crash become... two more years and and still has you know arguably one of the top players from this draft and probably yep. one of the top players from the other two drafts. Exactly. So I I think in my opinion that that would leave the discussion you know at the end of the day between Benson and Smith at fifth for Montreal and. Like I mentioned, Benson Benson's in a different tier than Smith for me. So that would be my pick. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, since Kent Hughes literally coached Will Smith at the junior level, um, I, I think that's going to be their pick at fifth overall, regardless of what well, happens. Well, we were, we were all pretty sure that someone in in, in Columbus would pick Julio Yarvi at number three, right? Was it number three? Yeah. Or was it number it, four? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that ended up not happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so obviously, you might have more information than we do just because he's uh, contacts as well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there is this discussion as well that always pops up because there is a little bit of a gap between four and five mm-hmm. um, in regards to talent and mm-hmm. stuff. And that is, should you pick a D at number five? And you got, you're sticking out here as well. You got Dmitry Shimashev out of Lokomotiv Yaroslav, the team that everyone sort of likes to love. Yeah. a little bit because of what happened with the with the, um, the crash of the airplane and maybe a little bit less now uh, in regards to Russia but it's a mm-hmm. very very good development program and and we mm-hmm. need to point that out when we speak about Shimashev and what first and foremost why do you have him at 8 and you've got Pelikat at 10 and Reinbacher at 16 because those are the three that is being tossed around as the best defender in the draft yeah um, I think that Dmitry Simishev is what people think David Reinbacher is, to put it shortly. Um, tremendous, tremendous rush defender. You know, defends the rush better than any other defenseman in this draft, not named Tanner Molendijk. Um He has this elite, elite skating ability. He can escape pressure extremely well. Um, extremely, extremely reliable in his own zone. Very, very rarely makes bad decisions in the D zone. Um, like any any defenseman in the MHL, there is some progress required, but I think that that's inevitable with the way that he plays. 
Um, and on top of that, you know, we talk about David Ryan Bacher being one of the best rush defenders and best defensemen in his own zone and being the most reliable and all that. It's the exact same for Simishev, but Simishev, I believe, has that untapped offensive potential that I struggle to see with Ryan Bacher. And that's not to say that Ryan Bacher won't be an extremely good NHLer because I believe that he has that that second line defender upside um, as a two way defenseman. But Simishev to me has an opportunity and has a chance to become a top pair defender that I don't see with David Reinbacher. Reinbacher is a weird one for me because I have a hard time not seeing him become a second second pair defender, but I have a very hard time seeing him become any more anything more than that. So for me, his floor and his ceiling are about at a at a second pair upside. So that's the weird thing is you know Simishev has that same floor but has a higher ceiling for me. That's how I see it. So that's why Simishev so high in my rankings. Um, and for me, you know, being one of the best defenders in the draft is one thing, but having, you know, giving some flashes of offensive skill is really important. And I feel like Reinbacher in uh, the NLA has a lot of moments where he's circling the offensive zone, trying to find passing lanes. You know, he has a lot more time in order to make decisions. Um, defend, you know, defensive structures are a lot more compact in in, in Switzerland. You know, there's a lot of collapsing happening uh, in, in Switzerland, and that's not something he's going to be facing at the NHL level. So that's a concern for me is how does he adapt offensively? And I haven't seen any modification in his offense. Whereas Simishev, I've seen changes in his offense as the season's gone on. He's gotten better at making plays quickly, even playing small give and goes from the blue line, adapting his, uh, you know, adjusting his shooting lane laterally. Um, he's got the skating in order to make all of that work. And the only thing that's really putting Reinbacher in that range is I believe that people have kind of shell shock from Moritz Sider and his draft year and think that this is kind of the same player, but they're not similar in terms of what they give offensively. Sider had a lot of untapped offensive potential because he was tasked with primarily defensive functions. Reinbacher's getting power play time. Reinbacher's getting opportunities to circle the offensive zone with the puck and et cetera. But yeah, no, that's a big difference for me is I don't think people think David Reinbacher and kind of think back to Moritz Sider and what happened in his draft year with the, with the Red Wings hopping early on him and then becoming a Calder trophy winner and all that. I don't think you're going to see that from Reinbacher. Sider um, also I took could... time. It took two years. You don't put, yep. you can't really, or two and a half. And yeah. You don't put Reinbacher in that same situation. To you probably, he wants to stay another year in 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 Switzerland to finish his uh, gymnasium or high school degree in, in yeah. business and economic or economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the NLA is not there yet to have the reputation about a good development league. Yeah. Uh, I think Clawton is a very good team, as as Thibault uh, Chatel pointed out in in the podcast with uh, with me. But on the other hand, uh, Sider went to the AHL, no hurry. COVID came. He went to the SHL and played for arguably one of the better development teams in, in right, the whole yeah. of Europe right now. Yeah. So, so you have to look at it that way as well. Um, mm-hmm. He learned two years from, from the professional sides on top of what he already learned in, in, in the German league. Um, mm-hmm. The one of the player you haven't mentioned out of these defenders is Axel Sandin Palika, uh, probably the one with the most offensive upside, but yep. on the other hand, one with the least defensive upside. Yeah, he's that's the thing for me. It's just his offensive skill is off the charts. Um, one one of the better, one of the best, if not the best, transition attacker um, among defensemen in this draft. 
his breakout passing is tremendous. I've very rarely seen him miss a breakout pass. And every time he does make a breakout pass, he's not dumping it up. He's not making it someone else's problem. He's solving problems with his passing. And that's one thing I really look for. And that's why he's 10th overall in my rankings. Yes, the defensive side is a work in progress. And I have seen some small steps forward in that, but I believe there's a lot more room to work with in that sense. But Axel Sani Pelica, I just look at him and I see uh, John Klingberg so much with his with his playing style. Um, the type of guy who you can just pop on your on your on your top power play, he's gonna get you a good 50, 60 points um, you know, in his prime. And you can't really you're not gonna put him on the ice in the last minute in order to defend a lead. You need other players for that. But if you build your lineup properly, Axel Sani Pelica can be your best defenseman. Yeah, I've even heard comparisons um, from uh, from coaches in Sweden saying Eric Carlson. A lot of them mm-hmm. say John Klingberg, though. So let's go with that. Um, mm-hmm. Who should Montreal in your mock draft pick? And and if they get uh, have the choice between Benson Smith or or any of the defenders, mm-hmm. who would you go Benson or would you go for a defender in this case? And especially with with uh, Reinbacher being right-handed, and mm-hmm. I think Shimashev is as well, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, Simashev is left-handed. Yeah. Left-handed, yeah. But yeah, Sandy Pelic is right-handed, so you've got yeah. a couple right-handed Ds in that range. But for me, like I mentioned, Zach Benson is in a tier above Smith, Simashev, uh, Oliver Moore, Ryan Leonard, Sandy Pelica, and Ryan Becker is below that tier. So... For me, it's not even a question. You you know, if if you're picking fifth overall and it's between Zach Benson, Will Smith, and any defenseman, I would go for Zach Benson. If it's not Zach Benson because you're worried about size, then you can start talking about Will Smith. But you know, if you're gonna tr- if you're gonna pick a defender, trade down because there's three of them that are available. You know, even Simashev could be available in you know in the fifteen to twenty range. Um, and then we haven't even talked about Tom Villander, who's up there as well. Uh, Luca Cagnoni, some other defensemen. I, f- I think that you have a better chance of getting the same caliber defenseman as a Reinbacher in the 15 to 20 range. So if you really want to go for David Reinbacher at five, first, I think that's a waste um, of a fifth overall pick because at five, you don't, hopefully, you don't get a lot of chances to pick in the top five. So if you're picking in the top five, you better make a, a good you know chance of it. And you might as well swing for the fences for the highest upside guy you can find. I think that's Zach Benson. I think Will Smith Smith is in that conversation. But if if we want to reach for a defenseman, might as well just trade down, get an extra pick, and actually not reach and just pick a defenseman. If you go to if you trade down to fifteen and pick Dmitry Simashev, who's probably still going to be available by then, you're winning. But if I just don't understand the argument for reaching trade down probably from fifth and get Wielander and uh, Simashev or Reinbach. Yeah. Exactly. And Villander reminds me so much of uh, of Reinbacher in terms of great skating, great rush defending, um, some but kind of limited offensive upside. They're very similar, and that's why they're in the same tier for me. I've got Reinbacher at 16 and Villander at 21, but in the same tier. Unfortunately so, for Montreal fans, though, Villander has uh, said he's going to Boston University. Yep. He hasn't played a minute of pro hockey. He's just practiced with the pro team, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. which means that he doesn't get to play with Adam Engstrom for the upcoming season. But that does mean he gets to play with Lane Hudson. Indeed. So, <laughs> there we go. And that's yeah. why I'm interested in him, is I think that the pathway from through the NCAA is actually really good for him and his development. Because the things he needs to learn, he needs to learn by playing top minutes against hard four checkers. And that's what's, what he's going to be facing in Boston. And a, a Tom Villander-Lane Hudson pairing 
wow i i I cannot wait to see that that's going to be really fun to watch indeed uh if both of them are have prospects though that's the problem right uh <laughs> looking down the draft we're, we're now certain because obviously the the uh final has finished congratulations vegas um target a realistic target at 31 what would you put there there's a couple um i think that you know some of the guys that i have in that range are probably going to be gone by then because i'm lower on them than most private scouts probably are most nhl scouts are but one guy i think is definitely going to be available in that range is oscar fisker mogard um i've Good loved his game mate <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh but yeah he, he's one of the he's one of my favorites from this draft class i've got him at 30 right now um plays for hv 71 in the shl tremendous two-way two-way forward uh works really well off the puck but also has kind of that uh lekanen ish skill set where you can see him um oh, you know cra- another lekanen guys you're gonna love this guy <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but listen he he's clutch you know you talk about clutch factor he's clutch he's got it and it's very rare that we see Danish players come up through the Swedish system and actually excel the way he has. Uh, and I've been really impressive, especially his SHL tape has been really impressive uh, for me. I've loved what I've seen from him at the pro level. Other than that, Bradley Nadeau uh, from Penticton in the BCHL, uh, probably a top five goal scorer in this draft. Um, his shot is elite and he's got so many different ways to find the back of the net, but also was really impressed with his playmaking as well. Um, good skater, uh, not the most physical guy and, and not the biggest guy either at 5'10", 163. So if the, the Habs are really intent on size uh, at 30, 31, um, I believe that there are some guys that will drop down the rankings like Callum Ritchie. Callum Ritchie is probably the nastiest player in this draft. Um, you know, he he has that kind of uh, Tom Wilson, Brad Marchand type of, I want to get under your skin at all costs, but he's also extremely intelligent with the puck. Um, I've got him in 18th right now, but I, I think he's going to drop due to the Oshawa Generals not being the best team in the OHL necessarily. Um, but I love what he brings to the game. Uh, other than that, Grayson Sachin, who's been buried in a really, really deep Seattle Thunderbirds line uh, lineup, but he could very, very well be one of the highest uh, value players in the latter half of the first round. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's available at 31, given how little he's played. Um, but yeah, I can I can see him, you know, landing a bigger, bigger role uh, with Seattle and becoming their top scorer down the line. A player that has fallen all through the season is mm-hmm. actually Edward Schale. Uh, yeah. Um, he's been unlucky. He's a confidence loss. Um, mm-hmm. The Czech League is obviously tough for a teenager, and especially in a classic old school team like Bernoulli's. Yes. Um, some of my colleagues and, and, and friends in Czechia are saying that he should have gone to to the junior level in, in North America after the world yeah. juniors in order mm-hmm. to maybe um, shape that uh, discussion into something else. Do you think mm-hmm. he could be possible at 31 or is he too good? And people have realized that he's just been unlucky. Uh, yeah, I, I have him at 22 right now. I, I think that a lot of these uh, rankings that have him below that are kind of over corrections. Um, because I understand the argument. He's he's a liability in his own zone. Doesn't really do much in his own zone. Um, but I've always, always loved his off-puck smarts. The way that he kind of just has this instinct to pop up in the right pockets at the right times. I think teams are going to be able to identify that and see that he does have 60, 70, 80-point potential if he works out the way that he can. Um, so I think that's going to be one thing that pushes him up the lineup um, in, in the draft class. I think that you know 15 to 20 is kind of 
um, you know, the 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 predictable kind of range that he could go in. So I'd be very surprised if he's available at 31. And if he is, I, I would kind of take that risk. Um, I'd be okay with that. Indeed. Um, then I'm going to finish uh, this podcast a little bit with uh, what I've done to to the other guests that I've had here. And for those yep. that doesn't recognize Hadi Kalakesh's voice, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a good friend of, of the podcast. It's a good friend of mine. And it's yep. obviously one of my colleagues from Ice on the Price, but you also work on Dobler Prospects as mm-hmm. a uh, regional scouting boss nowadays, right? Yeah, director of North American scouting. Uh, you know, just below my my good friend Sebastian and I, uh, we work really well together. So we make a good team. And which are your personal favorites that you haven't mentioned uh, so far? Okay. In in, yeah. in this, I mean, and you can go as far as down to your hundred and twenty four, along with the honorable mention where David San Louis wants you to speak about someone anyway. <laughs> yeah so one of my favorites from you know from the first round my favorite prospect other than zach benson who've already mentioned would be Jaden Perron. um Perron is a 12th overall in my rankings i've seen him as low as the hundreds on on cory Prawn's rankings and all that i don't get it um well we yes, don't get small. in regular so it's fine <laughs> yeah exactly uh but yeah no Perron for me i have a very hard time pointing to any specific area of his game and calling it a weakness he is 5'8", 157 pounds, but he has no problem with physical play. He ha- he holds his own in physical battles. He wins most of his battles, so that's not a concern for me. Intensity, skill, pace, um, probably the best hands in the draft are, are after Conor Bedard. So, yeah, I love him. Um, other than that, in my first round, a couple of guys that I kind of have a lot higher than others. Um, I'll kind of go with my, my early second round because that's where he got the most surprises. Um, Denver Barkey is one who I really love. Uh, every time I've watched the London Knights to scout uh, Logan Mayu, I've just come away so impressed with the way that Barkey plays the game. The intensity that he has, there's not a more intense player in in this kind of range. Um, and on top of that, he's just so surprising defensively. The amount of times he's back-checked and stick-lifted opponents and stolen the puck off them, um, the intensity and pace with which he plays, and also the skill set is pretty high. So I love him. Um, Anton Wahlberg is up there. He's grown on me a lot in the last couple of, uh, couple of years, um, a couple of months rather. He's, he's been one guy who I was really sore on at the start of the year, really didn't see much from him at the J20 level, but watching more of his SHL tape, there's a big, big difference in his implication, his involvement, um, all that. He plays for Malmo. So, uh, really good program as well. Uh, let's go. Well, I mean. You know they're not good in terms of the output, but I, I like what they do with their prospects, the game, the playtime they give them, and all that. So yeah, um, Felix Und- Ungersorum is one guy who I really, really love. Um, you started with both- Felix, and then you didn't say Nilsson. Oh, Nilsson is right <laughs> after him. Those are the two guys. There's a lot of kids from Sweden I really like, but Ungersorum really impressed me with his playmaking. At first, I really saw him as more of a defensive-minded kind of third-line upside player, but his playmaking really unlocked a lot of potential for me in this game. Um, Lexans is okay as a program, but uh, Ungersorum really just genuinely his playmaking really impressed me. And it's not, you know, he's one of those guys who loves to throw pucks at the slot, but he doesn't do it mindlessly, he always has a purpose to it. And obviously, Felix Nielsen, who man, there's so much to love about his game. His play with Rugla this year, especially in the SHL, has been great. Um, really love the defensive implication. And, uh, you know, he reminds me a lot of Marco Casper from Elements, just the uh, the forechecking game, the physical game, his ability to win battles against guys who are bigger and stronger than him. 
Um, I think that he's going to be one of those guys who gets a pick in the 30s, but I've got him at 44 right now. Yeah, and and go back to to Felix Unger's serum. Um, yeah, you know, first and foremost, September birthday. That's another yep. year of 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 development in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, which is unknown for many of of, of our listeners and, and many people in North America, he mm-hmm. will most likely have a center, or he will have a center on his team, but maybe even on his line. That is called Lucas Vedemo, and can yeah. come into to Montreal and mm-hmm. and uh, how it is to play in Montreal and all the positives that surround this team where you know normally you just hear negatives i would be <laughs> super excited to get felix nelson obviously down the road from where i live uh, yeah. but but a lot of good prospects the amount of work you put into this hadi i know it there will be an article out with is it one article or is it five articles now hadi I'll put down two articles. I'll start with the uh, 51 to 100 picks and then go from uh, 1 to 50 uh, for the next one. Uh, yeah, we'll work our way up the top 100. I'm not going to do 128 prospects because some of these latter end guys, I love them and I, I love what they what I've seen from them. But um, it's very hard to watch 128 times five games, which is usually my benchmark for scouting players. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for joining us I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have Hadi, mm-hmm. fabulous guest we always appreciate you coming on and, and you're always welcome to to let us know when you want to come in and speak a little bit more I'm sure we'll talk to Hadi more or less directly after the draft so yep. please bear with us as we bring this up bring the podcast up to normal speed after a little bit of a dicey uh, autumn mm-hmm. Please subscribe. Please give Hadi a follow if you don't already. Give Dobler Prospect a follow if you don't already. Um, will you make any late changes on Dobler Prospects in order to um, in the, your draft rankings? Oh no, the the final rankings are out. Uh, that's how we see the the our lineups playing out. Uh, so we're already kind of comfortable with the ways come out. And uh, what we'll mainly do after the draft is uh, basically assign the 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 draft the prospects to their teams and then kind of uh rank how teams did you know who's the winner of that draft etc you know well uh, there's kind of only the one winner person. in that draft and it's going to be montreal oh yeah absolutely a hundred percent we'll have them you know un- unless they pick ryan becker at five but we'll, we'll <laughs> see about that <laughs> uh well give hadi a follow and enjoy the rest of your day thank you guys for listening